Ready, set, go! Registration is now open for the Middle States Commission on Higher Education 2023 Annual Conference. It's in Philadelphia, December 4th through 6th, 2023, setting the standard transformation through accreditation. You don't want to miss it. Register now at msche.org. Surprise! We're taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us for an incredible higher education marketing and enrollment management conference February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio back here again. I want everybody to remember, if you can, when you hear this episode, we have an upcoming, well, a couple upcoming conferences where we're going to be live and in person podcasting with attendees at these conferences. Where are we going? Well, great question. We're going to Philadelphia in December 4th through 6th to the Middle States Commission on Higher Education Annual Conference with my good friend, Dr. Heather Perfetti, of course, the president of Mill States. Um, and uh, we're so excited to be there. It's our first accrediting commission conference that we'll be attending, although I think we'll have a few more. And then in February, we're gonna be attending the Insights EDU conference put on by Education Dynamics. It's all about marketing and enrollment. I'll be speaking, hosting panels and podcasting there. And shout out to, to the Education Dynamics team. Of course, um, if you would, and you know, this is a shameless plug, I have to do this every time. If you would pick up a copy of the book called Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education that I wrote and co-wrote with Kate Colbert with contributions by Elvin Freitas, why should you buy it? Well, I think you should buy it because I wrote it, but that's not good enough, is it? We put 125 presidents that we interviewed on this podcast and all of what they said about the future of higher education, and we rolled it into a book. Yes, it's 500 plus pages long, but it's built for social media, which means there's a lot of pull quotes and, and cool uh, quotes that we had of those presidents, 125 of them telling us about the future of higher ed. In fact, you could probably track how accurate they were at this point. That's it. Commencement is available on Amazon, wherever you get your books, and we can close off the uh, selfish plug uh, part of this episode. And instead, I'm going to bring in my guest now. Um, we had a special guest co-host that couldn't make it. So me and my guest, we're still going to make it work. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. He is the one and only Dr. Mark Browning. He is president and CEO of Blue Mountain Community College. Mark, what's going on? Hey, hey just uh, living large out here in Northeast Oregon and uh, doing well, doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, we're, we're glad to have you here. Of course, that was going to be one of the first questions I had for you and for our audience, because we have so many presidents come on from colleges. You know, where are you located, of course? But let's start. Tell us, you know, who you serve, how you serve them and where you are. So Blue Mountain Community College is a two year comprehensive community college in Pendleton, Oregon. We serve a, a district of about 18,000 square miles, so roughly almost all of eastern Oregon up around the bend if you follow 84 on the map all the way west to west of Boardman so you know uh, we're about three hours three and a half hours east of Portland about three and a half hours west of Boise uh, about an hour south of the Tri-Cities three hours south of Spokane about four hours north of Bend so that gives you an idea geographically where we're at we are at the base of the Blue Mountains thus the name um, out on the rolling wheat fields highly agricultural area, um, beautiful area, uh, 
and we have students who range from obviously agricultural students to we do a lot of tech with Amazon Web and some of the other um, data companies out here. This is where your cloud lives is in Northeast Oregon. If you have a website or web storage through Amazon, it's probably stored uh, in a data center near us where our students learn how to uh, manage that data and work for them. Uh, we do a lot of transfer to regional universities, be it Oregon State, Washington State, Boise State, uh, University of Idaho, uh, University of Oregon, all of that. And uh, we're an institution that's 62 years old, 61, going on 62 years old. Um, have a main campus in Pendleton and four outreach centers. And on a headcount basis, we serve roughly about 3,200 students. Wow. Um so are you, would you consider Blue Mountain Community College rural, semi, very, 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 very rural? Yeah, very rural. So, so if you if you know um, rural Oregon and Pendleton especially is famous for the world famous Pendleton Roundup, one of the premier outdoor rodeos of uh, that, that are in existence. I, I often tell people telling the Pendleton Roundup and, and calling it a rodeo is a little like calling the Super Bowl a football game. Amazing. It is an amazing experience. It's nine days long. The rodeo is four days long. It is, it's a trip, man. You need to come out. Um, there's concerts, there's, you know, extreme bull riding. It's like a big deal then. It's like a, it a, a Sturgis kind of thing where people, unless you've gone yeah. to Sturgis, they have no concept of how big it is. There you go. Th this is Sturgis on horses. That's amazing. Uh, we are a town of about 17,000 people. We grow to 65, 70,000 during that nine days. Um, Outrageous. The city takes its parking lots and makes them available for people to come and boondock camp in, the, in their trailers, their motorhomes. Um, it's run by over a thousand volunteers. Um, so the K-12 school shuts down for that week. We shut down for part of the week um, and we all just pitch in. It's a huge community event. It's it's intense. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And just for the audience, I. Um, I was working at a university in Rapid City, South Dakota. Mm -hmm. So when I would go there and it was during August when Sturgis was my, uh -huh. my $99 a night Marriott was $1,049 a night for the same room. And I went, same. what is happening? Well, 30 minutes. So people converge on these areas for these huge events. It's, it's, it's a big deal. It brings yeah. a lot of economy, right? A lot of, uh, financial advantages to the region and so on. Also, um, contacts, networking opportunities. Oh. I mean, talk, talk about what that means to your school to have that event so close. For the people that come in, what we find is that they see how closely not only us, but uh, all of the local organizations are interwoven with putting on this event. And you do, you make contacts. We had one of our uh, people who uh, was in a serving line, serving uh, you know burgers, fries, beers, whatever and ended up meeting um, a billionaire who was out here who had heard about the Roundup kind of as a curiosity and thought, hey, I want to check that out. Surprise. And uh, now we have a contact there. Um, that is the kind of benefit that comes. Um, in the lone year um, in 2020, when it did not happen because of uh, shutdown because of the pandemic, uh, it cost the city and the region somewhere between 60 and $65 million in economic impact. Yikes! That's so a lot that, of money. It's huge. Now, to the Roundup's credit, they have a foundation. 
they went ahead and made the disbursements to all the organizations. So how it works is, you know, whether it's the college, whether it's a, an Altrusa or a Lions Club or whoever it is, Rotary Club, I'm, you know, we go and we volunteer, right? We serve, we, you know, um, drive little carts and help folks in who who can't make the walk, you know, whatever it might be. At the end of the roundup, for those fees that are generated, they're dispersed back amongst all those charitable organizations that help support that. So, you know, if our baseball team is uh, helping to pass out water um, downtown during the parade, or if we're parking RVs, if we're pouring beer, whatever it is, you get you get a contribution back. In 2020, the Roundup Foundation, when they took no dollars in because we didn't hold the event, they made the same disbursements back. That's nice. To keep Incredible. those clubs going. So that's the kind of impact and community connection it has. And it is uh, it is huge. And now we have a number of events. So that's it. That's always the second full week in September. Now we have we have a whiskey fest because, you know, Pendleton Whiskey is a, is a huge sponsor. We Cheers. Have, yes, we have a uh, a bike week that is kind of two weeks before Sturgis. So it kind of helps as people are heading out this way. Right. This is a stop that they come through. Uh, we have a bluegrass festival, Jackalope Jamboree. We have a number of these now that we do throughout the year uh, because tourism is such a large part of the economy now. You know, we're a town of 17,000 people, but we're kind of at that mid-stage point between those major population centers. So it really does help um, carry the businesses throughout the year. You know, one of the things we're seeing across higher ed is cuts. That's yeah. that's common right now. Cuts you see probably every other day or every day. So and so is cutting faculty. So and so is cutting programs. The business model's in trouble. How are you doing? How's your school doing? Are, are you growing? Are you re, are you um, stabilizing? Are you recovering? You know what's what's the mode that you're in right now? Yeah, Joe, I'd say all of the above. So we went through some of that very significant um, and tough adjustment from a business model standpoint, and that's uh, it's it's a difficulty with many in our industry to say the B word, right? Uh, because we're not a business, we're an education. But what you have to realize, what happens in that classroom, whether you're the sage on the stage or the guide on the side uh, approach, how you support that, how you make that happen comes from business principles. It's, it's debits and credits, it's expense and operating, and it is very much at this level. And I, I'm glad to see the AACC and some of the others have really gone to pushing Yes, you're the president, but you're the CEO because you are running an operation here. So uh, like most colleges, especially community colleges, Blue Mountain saw a significant enrollment decline from 2012 uh, to about for, for 10 years to about 2022. Um, enrollment is rebounding. We So 21-22, we saw a little growth. 22, 22 to 23, we saw growth. And then we're up, uh, we're up a pretty good chunk this this fall. But we made major adjustments in 2021 and 22. And uh, fortunately, that did have to include faculty because it was across the board. When you've lost two thirds of your enrollment, uh, you have to make adjustments. Now, we have added faculty positions back this fall. We added three full time back. For us, that's a very big deal. Um, we're adding operating back. We're really pushing professional development. We're adding those funds back. Um, and if this continues through winter and spring, we're on a quarter term here, we'll add even more back uh, in our tw uh, 23, 24, and 24, 25 budgets. We budget on a biennium here in Oregon every two years. So um, I'd say we're recovering. I don't, Joe, see a time where we'll ever be back to the size that we were. I think in rural colleges especially, 
um, you're just not going to see that. You have yeah. to adjust your model for what is now and what will be. Um, we're not going to continue to be at a full-time equivalent of, say, 1,200. I, I think we'll level out somewhere around 1,800 with a headcount probably in the 4,000. But we're not going to go back to where we had a full-time equivalency of you know, 3,500 or 4,000. There's one, there's just not that many people here anymore. We all know what's happening with the demographics in K-12. You know, they're coming down. Um, young men, especially in the interior rural West, especially are not going to college. They're choosing to go into the workforce. Our approach here to adapt to that is to help them get quick upskill training to get them either started or advance them um, and then build that relationship with them that as they progress in those careers, if they want to get into management, then yeah, let's get you some business, you know, to your background and get you into management or start help you start your own firm through our small business development or whatever it might be, but you have to adapt your thinking or you're done. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought it up because I, you know, we, <clears throat> so many, we've had so many guests here on the podcast. I would tell you that the, the number of people that we talk to that realize that education is a business, although that's growing, actually, there's still some that oh. don't believe that to be so. And I'll, and I'll hit a button like this. Give me a call when you want to start taking things a little more seriously. It's so it. right. It's like, peace. yeah, and so you could replace this, you know, model with any product you, you have expense and you have revenue. And if you're trying to drive one and manage the other, it's a business and it doesn't matter what the context is. You could put a, you could just take the word higher education out and put a blanket over this and say, what do you call us when you bring in revenue and manage expense? Yeah. And, you charge for a service, right? Right. And how do you, how do you find that service. university? Is, that? is it, is it universally accepted that you're running a business? Is it uh, much aligned? Is it talked about? I would say here that probably 60% of the campus is okay with it. We still have some, some folks who, don't don't say that word. This is not a business. We're not producing widgets, uh, and we are not. We're we are in the produce the business of helping facilitate journeys, but that's a service. You know that's right. May, maybe we're just uh, you know an educational travel agent because we're going to help you along that journey. Yep. But that's exactly what it is. Um, I think it's becoming more accepted. I, what I'm seeing now is that boards are recognizing that this position is less about your academic chops and more about your business chops, more about your ability to relate to other businesses in your community, to your legislature, to your funders, and to build those relationships. This is a relationship position. And while all of our academic acumen needs to be at the highest that it can, because you were an outstanding researcher in X does not mean you're necessarily best suited for this position. And so that's changing the pathway for many to come into these positions. Um, I was very non-traditional. I was in private industry for decades and then did not, I didn't go to college till I was 39. Um, I didn't start working in education until I was a true adult day. student. Love it. I really, yeah, very, very non-traditional. Married three kids, mortgage, had a very successful career. I was in uh, television news. I was the evening anchor on a high school diploma, doing Forget great. About right? it. So, uh, saw that had to start planning for the future. But I think what you're seeing is that while traditionally it's been someone who comes up through instruction, right? They've been a successful faculty member. They move into a department chair, to a dean, to maybe vice president, and then they ascend to a presidency. But they don't always have the business acumen. And part of that challenge is that 
with business, you are directly related to what your income is coming in and you balance your expenses back out. In education, the, the difficulty becomes we know we're going to have a certain amount or we used to know that we would have a certain amount of income coming in through state and local funding yep. that you can count on that almost regardless of what your output was. Well, that's changing. And I like the fact that it's changing because we need to be accountable. If we're going to have a culture of accountability based on what our outputs are, which is success for the student, then that's how it needs to be. We have to also work to redefine what a success is. It doesn't just necessarily mean a degree as in a completer. It doesn't always necessarily just mean a certificate. If a student comes in and takes one course with us and is able to improve their position with their company, is that not a success? But why is that counted against us? Because the traditional model is enroll, first time, full time. First time, full time freshman. Yep. Uh, Show me a community college in the country that is first time, full time, almost fully. We're all part time institutions. People are working, they're working our product around theirs. The entire model of a community college is about a commuter student or a working student, not a full-time, first-time, full-time freshman. That is a definition left for, or at least created by your residential student, 18, 17, 18 years old, that would go somewhere for four years. And that is not the norm. It's what, 17% of the overall college-going population right now? That doesn't make any sense, right? Our full-time students here come in three three buckets, essentially. Our athletes who are here to compete in programs, uh, nursing and health science students, and our ag students. Outside of that, everybody else is part-time. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, what's that, your, the percentage of your student body? And that's where you have to look at it. You know, what I really am trying to push to see is we have this very traditional agrarian calendar year approach, right? We start, your main term starts in the fall, you finish in the spring, you, you know, you can take summer, you take it off. Why are we not looking at year-round? Why are we not? I looking, hear that. Why are we not looking at start on demand? Or at the very minimum, we have a start a month. You know, so much of, of some of those entry-level courses are asynchronous. That's what the students are demanding. Well, why do we have to wait until the third week of September to start every year? You want to go? Let's you know, go. I, I, I love that you're talking because sometimes I, when I talk about academic colleges, right, it's, it's, it's like this. You're not the only one cursed with knowledge. It's because I know you can do so much with an academic calendar. You can yeah. run quarters, you can run non-term, you can run non-standard term. There's subscription-based Title IV packaging that they, that they yeah. allow for now. The problem is, and by the way, adjusting your programs and you know moving from, let's say, 10-week terms to eight-week terms or eight-week to six-week, not only is it possible, there's another college that's doing it. So you just oh, have yeah. to have the right design. You have to have the right Bingo. faculty. That's the thing is you do not have to, you know, out, out here, we don't say reinvent the wheel. You yeah. don't have to plow the ground the first time. That's right. But somebody else is doing it. You just got to find them, go talk to them, build a relationship and figure out how it works, you know, how you adapt that for your own situation. Yeah, you you can overlap terms if you yeah. do non-term. You can do so many things. Now, what that does is it, it, and you know this, it ups your replication. So if you're used to doing something at the end of 10 weeks and then everybody mobilizes at the end of 10 weeks and you tell them they've got to do it two times a month, it's like, well, we can't do that. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not possible. Yeah. There's no way. And so that's what it is. It's our own you know, it's your own comfort level with these things. So that you're right. The agrarian calendar is, is a, you know, you have ag programs. That's exactly right. That's what the calendar was originally created for and by. 
Uh, but there's institutions breaking that mold. And so how oh. do you serve a student who is a commuter student who is not on your schedule? You are on theirs. And yes. that changes the whole perception. That's the mindset. So here at Blue Mountain, we talk about students first. So if we're really talking about that, yes, the agrarian calendar works for those students who are in the ag sciences programs. However, does the nursing student need to be on that same calendar? What about the student who's taking the unmanned aerial system drone program? Are they on that calendar? Do they need to be? Probably not. So why can't we mix and match that to where, you know what? Drones are gonna start in June, right? Nurses start August 1st, whatever it might be. That's, but it's hard. You know, it's hard to break away from what you know. I think it's compounded in a rural area because we do hang on to tradition and we hang on to the security of what we know works. And we don't have the luxury often in our mind to say we can take chances and experiment and break out because we don't have a plethora of resources or uh, people, you know, we don't have a lot of depth. We always say, you know, look, we're one deep at every position, but are we doing it the best way we can? And as we tell our students, right, if you don't do as, as well on exam, what did you learn out of that? Take and improve, right? You only fail if you don't try again. Well, why are we any different? Okay, so we tried something here. That didn't really work. What did we learn out of that? Take that and then move on and try something new. Keep moving. Keep Tell it like it is. Should you register for the Middle States Commission on Higher Education annual conference this December 4th through 6th in Philadelphia? 100%. I agree, because the title of the conference is called Setting the Standard, Transformation Through Accreditation. There is no time like the present to explore opportunities in higher education and the future for our students and our business model. Get out and network with your peers this December 4th through 6th at the Middle States Commission on Higher Education annual conference. Attention. Are you ready to elevate your institution's marketing and enrollment strategies? Join the Edup Experience podcast at the Insights EDU conference, February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Don't miss out on this opportunity to hear from engaging speakers from industry leading companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and higher ed leaders. Learn the latest marketing and enrollment strategies to grow your programs. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code Add up to save $50 off your registration. Attention. Love it. What's keeping you up at night right now as you move this institution forward? What what do you what are you going? You know what? I'm just this is sitting over here. It's yeah. cooking. We, we've got some Oregon specific stuff that, that keeps me up at night the way our funding model works. So mm. currently Blue Mountain's funded about 25% from the state of Oregon. Tuition's roughly 25%. Local property tax is about 42%. And then we make up the other eight or 9% through grants, contracts, uh, services that we provide. Um, the We have an equalization formula here in Oregon that really penalizes you if your local property tax grows at more than the average rate of the state and they equalize, they ratchet down the state appropriation. So the, the state will say, you're gonna get X regardless. So whether that comes from your property tax or your state appropriation, that number is not going to move. I think that uh, local control now, the local, our local board, we have a locally elected board of seven. They set the levy rate. The three counties that we take taxation from, they go collect it, bring it to us. 
Salem didn't have a doggone thing to do with it. So why are they counting that as total, total public support and adjusting their support? It's shifting the burden more and more to the local property taxpayer. In our area where we are highly rural, home values are escalating so quickly that young people coming in simply cannot afford a home. Yikes! The average price of a home here in Umatilla County in Pendleton is you know, inching up and up and up every year. An 1800 square foot home with three bedrooms, two and a half bath, just, you know, a 30 or 40 year old home is 350 to $375,000. Now, if you're in San Diego or Austin, you're going to hear that and go, what are you whining about? But three years ago, that same home was $175,000. Wages are not keeping pace. And part of that is the way we approach taxation here in Oregon. We are it's fuzzy math. It's exactly, but you know, yes, yes. It's capital math is what we call it here. So that keeps me up. Um, the other thing I would say, Joe, that really keeps me up is can we adapt quickly enough as an educational institution whose DNA says glacial is best, right? To adapt to be of the level of service we need to, to our local industries. Ag is huge. Tech is huge. Um, travel and tourism is growing here and those industries are changing so quickly you know you think about ag and you go oh you plant the wheat you grow it they turn it into spaghetti noodles what's changes well the the amount of technology that's being used from autonomous driving tractors to we have a program here here precision agriculture uh, and irrigation where we use drones we teach the students how to fly the drones to map the fields and then you match that both on irrigation and on fertilizer so that you're not over or under in certain sections, but it's one person. You know, that used to take five or six people to do that. So can we adapt quickly enough in these fields to still be of the level of service we need to? Um, those are the kinds of things, you know, that that really make you worry. Can Oregon's a very labor heavy state in, in terms of organized labor. And it's restrictive. It's hard to make changes the way you need to, to really work as a CEO when you cannot make the changes um, as quickly as you need to. Yeah, I think there might be a, a, a wrong assumption by many people in this country that if you're in a rural area or you're farming, you're just not using technology and that, oh you know, you're, you don't That's know about all technology. you're using. It's yeah. so wrong, right? I mean, you're talking about weather predictions and, you know, managing your, your irrigation and there's so many bits and pieces. I mean, even being a garbage man these days, you, you're oh. looking at geographic calculations yeah. to unman your vehicle, you know, to have an unmanned vehicle. There's so much technology being embedded yeah. in farming right now to keep up with the population. We have, you know, the farmers here, their office is the front seat of their pickup and they have a laptop and a phone and their mobile hotspot and they're monitoring, as you said, all pivot irrigation, all the fertilizer that's going on, they're monitoring and making adjustments by the minute as that goes. Tracking markets. You don't think you need business training if you're producing a commodity and then you're selling on futures or where you're locking in your contracts, where are you locking your insurance rate? for that crop. It's not just hail damage. Now you're buying crop insurance based on where the futures are going. And so you talk about an understanding of the global marketplace. What's happening in Ukraine has a definite and direct impact on what happens to the wheat farmer in Umatilla County, Oregon, because of exports. What's happening now in the last few days in the Middle East has an effect on markets 
that has that trickles into everything that that you're doing, especially through agriculture. So, the understanding of that that you're just sitting out on a tractor listening to Waylon Jennings all day while you're plowing, oh, that's forty years beyond past. So true. What do you, what are you doing about attracting people to the area? There are, are do you do you have grads that settle in your area, or is, is it get your education and move out to the city? What's you know, the what, trend? Yeah, we see a lot of brain drain, a lot of young people who like, I got to get out of here. I'm so tired of the small town. Uh, the challenge in that is they go away and it takes them a while to come back. And much of what precludes them from coming back sooner, cost of living and housing primarily, um, availability. You know, we're a small town. So if you right now, I think we have 16 homes on our on our MLS that's it. 16 homes on the multiple listing. There's just not that much availability. The topography here makes it difficult to just build because the wheat fields are are rolling and, you know, quasi on the level, but the town sits in a bowl, a basalt bowl that's carved out, the, the bottom of which is the Umatilla River. So to blast out the sides, you're chipping out rock, makes it very expensive. You know, you can buy a lot for a reasonable price, but it's going to cost you $100,000 to get it build ready. Yeah. So the opportunities of employment that can bring a person back then compounds with it, with the cost of living and, and the cost of housing. For those who stay, who grow up here, get educated here, stay here, they are generally in a business or industry that is um, of their family or they're closely aligned with. Where we see some of the opportunities growing is certainly within unmanned aerial systems, drones, um, tech, um, and tourism tourism and, and travel. So um, that's a lot of what is happening to attract those back. Um, Pendleton in particular is being very aggressive with, we're, we're a much lower cost of living than the west side of the state along I-5, obviously. Um, clean air, 300 plus days of sunshine. And we actually have the fastest uh, internet service um, for any city um, under 100,000 in the state of Oregon. So if you want to live here and work somewhere else, if you're a remote worker, here you go. Yeah, you know, Your connectivity here is awesome. The other part is we're, you know, I talked about where we're located. We're an hour out of Pasco, which has a nice airport, half dozen airlines uh, in and out of there. Um, you can get anywhere quickly. It's pretty wide open. So uh, remote work is becoming a bigger thing here for people who work on the coast or say, you know what, I'm going to work uh, for a Silicon Valley company and I go down once a month. And so I go down and, you know, apartment share or Airbnb with somebody for a week and then I come back and I live here the rest of the time. So we're seeing more of that. And I think Epic. more of that. Talk about um, uh, public private partnerships. You're, 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 community colleges have to be huge yep. in the area with the, with the work uh, education and work pipeline, but also for enrollment and yep. being able to, to upskill the area. Can you talk about how deep your partnerships go in the area? Yeah, we're, we're contracting more and more Joe with outside partners uh, for expertise that we just simply cannot generate in-house. And it's not that there aren't talented people here, but one is, look, I can bring on. Uh, so, a decision was made before I arrived and in part of the, the great bloodletting of 2020, uh, they eliminated the entire marketing communications department and the IR department. The reason No way. I know it's like, wait a minute, your enrollment's going down. 
but you're not going to have anyone out there telling your story and your message and you don't have any data to back it up. Are you uh, kidding me? We have worked very hard to reestablish those departments. Now, as you build those out, do we build back out to a full department of a half dozen or whatever it is for a college this size? Or do we say, okay, we have one or two logistically to handle things here and then we're partnering with expertise and that we're doing more of that. Uh, we're finding that, especially in the digital space, you know, we can, we can outsource with a company who takes our message, our idea, puts it into a campaign place, away you go. Um, we're doing more of that. I think locally here, one of the things that could really help us with a public-private partnership is when we look at housing for students. We don't currently offer on-campus housing. Uh, this college never has. Housing insecurity is the number one issue for our students. Yep. It's the number one thing when we talk to students about coming here. Where am I going to live and how do I afford to live there? If you come to Pendleton right now, BMCC kind of sits up on a little hill on the outskirts of town and on the slope right in front of us kind of carved out of the side of the hillside uh, are 200 brand new apartments, beautiful new apartments, uh, studio, two bedroom, three bedroom. Uh, and they're running $1,800, $1,900 a month. Students cannot afford that. Yeah. It's a lot of money. They just simply can't. And especially on the wages here paid in this part of Oregon. So Give me a break. we have to address housing for us. So, can we find a public-private partnership that would either take one of our existing buildings? So right now, we're at about 50% capacity in our buildings. Mm -hmm. We're moving things around. We're actually becoming a landlord. We're leasing office space out to various entities, other government entities right now primarily, but others are coming along. Can we take some of that space through a public-private partnership and say, okay, partner A, um, you're going to renovate that? Make that into um, cooking apartments, mm -hmm. uh, contract with you to run that. You'll get paid at this rate and we're able to offer housing, you know, something along those lines. Um, how, you know, can we do more of that? Uh, we didn't have food on campus for the first year and a half I was here because we didn't have students living on campus. We're, we are now contracting with a private partner who operates out of our uh, student union space with our commercial kitchen because they were primarily a catering and they outgrown their space. So they do breakfast and lunch here five days a week now, four days during the summer. So the students have access to food. Well, if we bring 200 students on campus to live, now we have a way to be able to expand their business to do dinner and something, uh, at least two meals on the weekends, right? So we can expand their business. Those are the kinds of partnerships I think we have to look at. I enjoy talking to anybody who comes from business and industry because I always find that one of the first things they go to is, all right, what's our marketing look like? You know, I mean, how do we <laughs> sell our way out of this? Because, you know, you can't cut your way to prosperity, yeah. higher ed. Um, you know, historically, you cut and you keep cutting and keep cutting in as Roman declines and you don't see a lot of investment. And so you'll see colleges cut marketing, they cut communications, uh -huh. they cut advancement. <clears throat> because there's an idea that you want to preserve the academic core. Well, part of preserving that academic core is accepting a huge amount of fixed costs that you can't adjust. Yeah. So, but then you can't sell your way out of something, which is the no. way business typically works. You have to scale in order to achieve financial growth, right? It, it, it's so difficult because it's it seems like such a logical mindset, but it's so foreign within the world of academia. And I understand that. But the other part of that is, okay, if your background comes out of 
private industry or even business in the sense that you understand how it works, you're much better suited to see your way forward. And that's where the role of this position now is to, in essence, be a teacher to your campus to help them understand, here's how we grow our way out. And it's not just by spending more, but it's by being more strategic. And where do we invest those available monies on our campus to give us the greatest return? That's right. So that's uh, that's the challenge for today's CEO in the world of community colleges. That's a fact. That's a fact. Uh, I want to ask you our final two questions of the episode. We always want to give, well, one, it's not necessarily a question more as an open mic moment for you to say anything about your institution that you want to. What didn't we talk about today? Anything that you want to say about your team, about your yeah. institution, about the partnerships, open mic. You know, I, I heard something recently um, that, that really kind of struck me and it was, it was said under the context of professional sports, but it was the, the coach was the chef, but they weren't allowed to go to the grocery store and shop for the ingredients for the meal that they're making. And it struck me in the sense that we as college leaders, there's often a a ripple effect that happens. New president comes in, they take six months to kind of evaluate where the team is, you know, some heads roll, there's new positions brought in and it's always, you know, you got to build your team around you. Um, I think what I have found is here at Blue Mountain is there are some exceptionally dedicated people here who really, truly, this, this place has been their life. And rather than saying, yeah, well, you know, maybe you don't have the background in this, can we coach it up? Can we find ways to bring out more and to utilize that passion and that dedication to help push and develop and move forward what we're trying to do with students? It is, um, it's changed my, my way of thinking on that. And yes, we've made some changes. You know, we've, we've uh, helped facilitate professional development elsewhere for some folks, because sometimes it's just not a good fit, right? And it's not a, Yes, it is an assessment and a judgment of the person at that time, but it doesn't mean that they're bad. They're just not the right fit for here at this time. Um, there will come a time when all of us will go through that, right? Whether in whether Truth. it's on your terms or their terms, you won't fit. Um, what I see now for Blue Mountain is we have been through some very, very difficult times, but much like NASCAR, it's time to get rid of the rearview mirror. NASCAR does not have a rearview mirror. Why? Because you're moving at such a pace. All that concerns you is what is ahead of you and what is immediately to your side. So get your peripheral vision out and do not worry about what you've been through, but rather what you're going to and anticipate and act before you have to react. And I think that's where we're at now with Blue Mountain. You know something? You're right. Never thought about that before. I don't think I've ever... You know, there's certain things you don't think about in your life, like you know when you when you when you tell somebody for the first time when you're driving, and you're like, I told, my, I remember I was my wife or my sister-in-law, and I said, you when you go get gas, there's a little arrow that tells you what side your gas cap is on, and somebody goes, I've never heard anybody, I've never knew that before. Yeah, I was I, today I, years old when I learned that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't even think about the NASCAR not having a rear view mirror. But you're going so fast, how could you possibly concentrate for a second on your rear view? You only yeah. can go for it. Right. I love that analogy. That's yeah. so, that's so good. But take it and run with it. Drive that's with it. it quickly. 
Yes. What do you see for the future of higher education, Mark? Uh, I think there will be difficult times ahead for a couple of reasons. One, I think we try to outsmart the room and the answers are there. We just don't always have the courage to accept them and engage them. Uh, I think there is a very real and justified um, examination of the value of higher education right now. And for institutions who are responding to that, we all know the data. Look, you know, with each credential you acquire, your lifetime earnings go up. That's, <laughs> but where's your sound effects that say, these are the facts of the case and they are indisputable. Kevin Bacon. Bullseye. So you have to move that argument forward because the four-year degree does not always pencil out for someone in today's world. There are many instances when a certificate is out-earning even a master's degree, yeah. but it is still education and it is training beyond high school. So I see difficult times for institutions who will not just cling, but um, smother the, the pole of desperation clinging to it out of tradition and the refusal to adapt. Um, I think for education, for institutions who are actively engaged in trying to adapt and advance, uh, there'll still be some difficulty, but the long-term benefit will certainly pay out. We know that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, <clears throat> I'll tell you, I've enjoyed this conversation, uh, Mark. I Same hope here. you have too. Um, we, we, uh, there's so much to talk about and it's so many, yeah. You know, high, higher ed's a business is a takeaway here. You have to have a business savvy leader to navigate this, this at this point in time in higher education's probably present and future. Um, and and that just takes a different mindset when you want to innovate. It, you, you've got to have the right person to do it. And I know I have the right person here on the podcast with me, ladies and gentlemen. He's Dr. Mark Browning. He's president and CEO of Blue Mountain Community College. He is the man, hey. the myth, the legend out there. Mark, <laughs> did you have a good time on this podcast? I had a great time. This was this was great. I, I love it. I would love to come back again. Well, very good. You know, we have an, always an open invitation for any of our presidential guests to come back and co-host with me on the next president that we interview. So that's out there for you, too. Um, and uh, we'll be in touch. We're on the same email for sure. Okay. Beautiful. Thanks for the great takeaways today, Mark. Really appreciate it. Oh, likewise. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Let's do it again soon. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. Oh, yeah. The Middle States Commission on Higher Education 2023 Annual Conference is in Philadelphia, December 4th through 6th, setting the standard transformation through accreditation. Remember, only you can create transformation through networking, knowledge sharing, opportunity, leadership, service, learning, and accreditation. And you'll do all those things at the Middle States Commission on Higher Education Annual Conference this December 4th through 6th. Can't wait to be there. EdUp will be there. There's going to be over 1,300 attendees, presidents, provosts. The networking opportunities are off the chain. Register now at mshe.org. Oh, yeah. Attention, higher ed marketing and enrollment management professionals. We are taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us at Insights EDU on February 20th to 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona, Gain insight into the latest higher education trends and cutting-edge marketing strategies that'll take your institution's enrollment to a whole new level. This is your opportunity to connect with higher education leaders and marketing experts from across the country. 
comprehensive presentations, engaging panel discussions, and more. Insights EDU will equip you to position your institution for growth. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Can you afford to miss this conference? I don't think so.